Hey, let's sing this together before we sit down. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Come on. Let her receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Oh, he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. Father God, this morning we stand in the wonder of your love. God, we try and comprehend what that means, and yet we see it defined in your word as you loving this world so much that you send Jesus to die for the world. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of salvation. God, thank you that you would love us so much that you would do such a thing. And I pray that our hearts would somehow begin to understand it. God, that our hearts would live from that place of how you love us, how good you are. And Lord, if there's one person in the sound of my voice this morning that doesn't know that love, hasn't received that grace, doesn't know you as Savior, God, would you do a work in them today and change their hearts and lives for all eternity. God, we pray that you would be with us now as we look into your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all truth that I would decrease in this time, God, and that you would increase. You would help us to know you more and to have the courage and to be equipped to make you known. That is our prayer. That's our heart, Father, as a church, as a people. And so we study your word together now in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Be seated, please. Good singing, by the way. (laughs) I uh, Listen, I'm missing Pastor Daryl, his wife, and, and family have been sick for a little while, and they're slowly getting over it, but uh, I sure enjoyed the angelic trio this morning. That was pretty nice, wasn't it? So thank you, team, uh, for leading us in worship this morning. You know, um, I love the song Joy to the World. It was written in 1719 by a guy by the name of Isaac Watts. Isn't that a great Christmas song? Here's the problem. It's not a Christmas song. It actually wasn't written to be a Christmas song. It was written to be a, a second coming song. You know, we, we sing it about uh, Jesus' first coming, but it was written about his second coming. And the context is Psalm 98, which talks about Jesus reigning forever and coming again. It talks about uh, nature even, singing worship to our great God. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. 
And I love it. I especially love as a musician, and somebody appreciates songwriting and, and music, when that song starts, joy to the world. I mean, it's just like right out of the chute. It's just has this proclamation sort of attitude behind it. And somebody who's not a fan of, of a, a lot of high church style music, that really is the best way to do that song. I mean, a pipe organ, strings, brass, uh, a big choir, that's the way to do that song justice, Miss Judy. I just want you to know I feel that way. She says, now you tell me. I could have had my organ going. That's such a beautiful, beautiful song. And, and I want us to, to wrap our minds this morning around the reality that Jesus gives joy. Uh, we see this scripture in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you might look over there. We have it on the screen, I think. Luke chapter 2, the angel comes to the shepherds, which, by the way, are the lowliest people in the culture, the shepherds. People don't trust the shepherds. They're thieves. They can't go to the temple. They're dirty. They live outside. And yet that's the people that God comes to to explain, to announce the significance of a Savior. If that doesn't speak to love to all people, I don't know what does. But the angel shows up to these shepherds, and he says this, Luke 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. First thing I want us to acknowledge this morning is that this is the good news for all people everywhere. And what is the good news? That Jesus gives joy to the world. Yeah, the gospel of Jesus. That he brings joy to the world. It's not just a song we sing. I want us to think about what it means today. The fact that the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, I think is kind of like the understatement of all time. I was thinking about it. it was, you know, what else could the angel have said that really captured the moment? And honestly, I don't think there's a language. I don't think there's wording. Even in an angelic language, I don't think there's a way to communicate the significance or the magnitude of the moment that Jesus was born on this planet. God incarnate, here to dwell. There's just, there's just no way to even comprehend it. The good news of great joy is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but can have everlasting life. That is the good news and joy to the world. Friends, I know you know this, but this world is a broken place. It's messed up. It is a broken world. And we face horrible realities because of consequences of sin, yes. We also face uh, broken realities of, of sinfulness and, and just the brokenness of the world in our lives every day. One of my good friends um, this week lost his brother. Another dear friend lost his brother the week before. I heard the news of 50 people in Mexico, I think, that were uh, trying to find a better life one way or another, however you look at it, in the back of a, a trailer and had a wreck and 50 people died. My heart just mourns for the brokenness of this world. But can I just tell you something? Without Jesus, we are a dead and dying people. That's who we are. Since Adam and Eve sinned, 
our world has been dying. Sin came into the world and we are dying and dead people without Christ. Separation from God, a, a relational separation from God, it, it brings death to everything. It brings, it brings death to our bodies, it brings death to our relationships, it brings death to all eternity apart from Jesus. But here's the good news of great joy this morning. You ready? Jesus saves us from death. He saves us from death. This announcement of his birth is like the angel saying to the world, the death is over. We don't have to die anymore. Death is dead. Jesus' birth is the beginning of life and life more abundantly living life more abundantly. We don't have to die anymore. We, we don't have to groan in our brokenness anymore without hope. We don't have to grieve our, our loved ones who've gone on and not have any hope. We, we can grieve with hope, Scripture says. We don't have to wallow in our sin anymore. We don't have to live in addiction anymore. We have hope. We don't have to live in separation from God anymore. Because Jesus came. See, we couldn't go to him. In fact, that's what's so significant about the veil in the temple tearing from top to bottom, this nine-inch thick curtain. No man could, could tear. And yet God rips this veil from top to bottom to signify something, to say something. No, we could have never gone to a holy God. He has now ripped the veil in the temple from top to bottom to say to us, he's come to us. The Lord has come. He is king and savior forever. You know, when Jesus came, he brought life. A lot of people see that and they, they think about salvation or faith and they go, well, one day we're gonna live forever. No, listen, he brought life to you today in the here and now, in the middle of the brokenness of your life right now. Some of you are sitting here today going, I don't know how I'm gonna make the ends meet today or next week or next month or how I'm going to deal with this illness or how I'm going to, and maybe it's a, a fatal terminal illness that you're walking through, whatever the case may be. How am I going to make it? What's going to happen? He's come to give you life and hope even in the face of death. Jesus came and he ushered in even in a new era. We don't even, we don't even tell time <laughs> the same, Right? B.C. A.D. is the significant point in which Jesus came and said, everything is different from this point on. Everything. This morning as we sang Joy to the World, I wanted us to do that because I wanted us to truly kind of get our hearts in this, this idea of joy and think about what does it mean that Jesus gives joy to the world? Well, him giving joy to the world is sort of a 30,000-foot view of the joy that he brings because for the next few minutes I want to break down some of the pieces of joy. I don't think we always, we don't really understand joy. A lot of us equate it with happiness. It's not necessarily happiness. I, I want to show you this. Jesus not only gives joy to the world but he also gives joy to the lost. The story of Stephen in Acts 6 and 7. Stephen had been elected as one of these deacons of the early church to care for the Hellenistic Jews. And yet, Stephen is more than a waiter of tables. He's a preacher. He's a pretty good preacher. And he's fearless. 
because he stands in front of the very tribune or court that sentenced Jesus to a, a cross. And without fear, he preaches the gospel of Jesus and says, you are the ones that crucified him. And they were so angry with Stephen that they didn't put Stephen on trial. They chose to execute him right then and right there. They rushed against Stephen, they picked up stones, and they killed him. They stoned him to death. Well, when that happened, the church in Jerusalem kind of freaked out. The church in Jerusalem's going, wait, that's us. That was, our, that was our guy. We're doing the same thing. We're saying the same things about Jesus. What are we going to do? And the church of Jesus scatters. And, and they leave Jerusalem. And you, can you imagine how horrible it would be to have to run away, literally run away from your home from one day to the next because you might die because of what you believe and what you've been saying, what the group that you're connected to. Horrible situation. And yet God uses it for his glory because the gospel goes forward just as Jesus prophesied it to go. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world, the ends of the earth. Well, I want you to know, when people scattered because of the persecution in the church, guess where they went? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Exactly the way Jesus said that it was going to go. And one of those people who scattered, but not just with a, a, ba a backpack on his back and fear in his heart, no, was a guy by the name of Philip. Might have had a backpack, but he went to this place called Samaria. And he began to preach the gospel. This is, this is what stirred my heart about this message this morning. And I want us to look at it in Acts chapter 8. Just like Stephen, Philip was one of those uh, early deacons that were, that were put forward by the church. But again, he was more than a, a, a waiter of tables and a deacon, a servant was what a deacon is. He's a great preacher. Look with me in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Watch this, verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. I don't know what that phrase does for you, but it, it lights my heart on fire. Because when I think, what, what gave that city joy? Why was there much joy in that city? One, one reason. Jesus. Jesus gives joy to the lost. They were lost people. They heard the gospel. They, they responded to the gospel. It brought joy. It brought deliverance. It brought healing. It brought hope. You know, our mission statement on our door back there says, we exist 
to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. Can I just tell you this morning, the greatest good we could ever do in our city, the greatest good we could ever do is not just cleaning up. We should do that. It's not just serving uh, poverty and uh, illiteracy and families that have great needs and, and those that are trying to get on their feet. Yes, we should do all those things. But the greatest joy we could give this city is Jesus. That's the greatest joy we could give. In that city, there was much joy. You know what I think it would look like if we began to live that way? If we truly began to, to see joy lived out in our city because of Jesus, I think we would see a father who at one time may have been abusive to his wife and kids learn to come to Jesus, learn to love and serve and care for them, and guess what that family will have? Joy. I think it'll look like a mom who's only lived by the streets, a mom who only knows what it means to to live by drugs, maybe prostitution. She finds her identity, true identity in Jesus over who she's been to the world. She becomes a godly wife and mother, the one that God intended her to be, and she finally finds satisfaction in Jesus alone. Not in money, not in sex, not in drugs, not in culture even that she's been wrapped up in. She finds hope in Jesus and her children and her life. She begins to find real joy. I believe it's when couples, and can I just tell you, we have a lot of couples right now that are struggling. A lot of marriages in our church and in every church really struggling, and it breaks my heart. But can I tell you, when, when couples who are struggling in their marriage learn to seek Jesus over their side or their offense, and they learn to surrender to him, they learn to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. They learn to begin to sacrifice their rights, their preferences for their spouses just as Christ did for the church. Guess what they will begin to find? Joy. Because it's not always about us and our offense. Sometimes he's called us to serve and lead in forgiveness and lead in humility and lead in service. As couples, we can find joy. Our marriages can be lasting because of Jesus and the joy he gives. When our children learn, <laughs> what matters most in life is not the fact that other people find you popular. Kids, are you listening to me? What matters most in life is not that, that you're the most popular kid in school, right? That, that everybody thinks you're great. That you're worried so much about what everybody else thinks but you, you're only concerned with what God thinks of you. You will find joy. You'll stop seeking approval from everyone else. That was my issue. Growing up, I just wanted you to really like me. So what does that mean? What do I have to do to make you like me? I'll do it. And I began to chase everything else other than Jesus until I learned that he's the only one who truly satisfies. And I began to chase him, and I began to have joy, real and lasting joy. When our kids get that, listen, kids, when you understand that, you'll have a joy that satisfies for the rest of your life. Christians, when we learn that we can take the light of the world 
to a dark world, when we can take the light of Jesus to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and they see it, when we reach out, when we, we move towards them in mission and courage, we help people find Jesus, they will have joy, a deep and lasting, life-changing joy, the joy of Jesus. Joy, Jesus gives joy to the world, he gives joy to the lost, he gives joy to those of us who are saved. Those of you who know Jesus resonate with that. We've talked in this Multiply series um, a lot about mission. We've talked about different people on mission. We've talked about Philip before. I love the story of Philip. Here's Philip again. Uh, scattering, going and preaching, being obedient to listen to Jesus, being aware of missional opportunities around him. And God says to go to this certain place. You know the story of him and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he goes to this crossroads and he's waiting. Lord, you told me to come here. And all of a sudden this caravan of people come by. And there's an, an Ethiopian man in a chariot, very important man, with, with no telling how much entourage around him. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. right? And Philip goes, uh, I think that's my cue. <laughs> and he starts running up again next to the chariot. Keeping up with him, hey, what you reading? What you, 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 know, you want to learn about that? And the guy says, yeah. He gets in the chariot with him, and he tells him about Jesus, that that prophecy in Isaiah, written a thousand years before, is about Jesus who had just been crucified. And you can know him. And the man says, I want to know him. He gets saved, and then, and then Philip evidently explains to him, when you get saved, you get baptized. Wasn't last week amazing? Six people baptized in our baptistry following Jesus and that's what the Ethiopian said he said I, I've trusted Jesus I want to follow him so let's get baptized he goes where's water let's go I don't want to wait until I've got my right outfit on next let's do it a month from now let's go right now and so Philip's like okay let's let's find the water look with me Acts eight thirty nine. I love this story uh it says and when they came up out of the water Philip and the Ethiopian the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went away, went on his way rejoicing. Now, for all you Star Trek fans, you read this and immediately go, teleportation! Wow! Amazing! And yeah, I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, Philip comes out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord just goes, boop, zap, and he's gone. Where's, where's, where's the guy that just was with me in the water, Right? And the scripture tells us that he drops him off somewhere else. I mean, in essence, teleportation in a way, right? And that is so amazing and so exciting, we kind of like stop there. And we miss the rest of the verse. Look what it says. The Ethiopian went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Because Jesus gives joy to the lost. He gives joy to the saved. And now this man has come to know Jesus as his Savior, and he went on his way rejoicing. Do you identify with joy of your salvation? Do you identify with that? When you know Jesus as your Savior, there, there is a, a, a deep abiding satisfaction that only the Spirit of God can give our lives and our hearts. You can't even explain it. You can't even put it into words. 
I like the way Peter tried to put it into words. 1 Peter 1.8 said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Isn't that good? <laughs> rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Explain what Jesus means to you. You can try. <laughs> I could try. I could study all week to try and put into words what Jesus means to me. But my tears are the only thing that will express to you what is real. My life lived for him. My life given in death if need be. Would, it, would define to you what he means to me. I can't put it in words. I've never seen him, but I love him. It's a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. But I also love the fact that in moments of sinfulness, because I have those too, lots of those, as a Christian, as moments that where we fail and when we sin, I love that, that the Lord has not left us, that he wants to restore us. I love the story also of King David in Psalm 51 where he's, he's been in sinfulness with Bathsheba. He's taken advantage of her uh, in incredible ways. And Nathan comes to him, he realizes his sin and he prays this prayer, Psalm 51, 12. King David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, as a believer in Jesus, you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to fall. You're still going to have sinfulness at times in your life. But we need to have an awareness to know that that's not, all, uh, that's not how we live ongoing. It ought to be the exception and not the rule. We ought to love Jesus. We ought to live for Jesus. We ought to honor him with our lives, with our minds, with our words. But when we fail, we need to have an awareness, Lord, we need you. And would you restore to me the joy of my salvation and give me a willing spirit to know you, to walk in you, to live for you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I love the fact that Jesus gives joy also to growing disciples. You know, when we're saved, like I said, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, into our lives. Everything is different. We've talked about this, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians yeah, 5 says that... Uh, the old has passed away, the new has come, we're new creations in Jesus. When the Spirit comes into our lives. So if you're, if you're listening to me today and you go, well, I remember, I remember at a camp I prayed a prayer, but my life never really changed. I continued in sin. I don't really care about the things of God. Friend, you may not know Jesus as your Savior. <laughs> because he changes everything. You, you can't stay the same. Because you've gone from dead to life. There ought to be change. The old ought to pass away. The new ought to come. And you ought to walk in that new. But what's amazing about the Spirit when he comes into our lives, all of a sudden Paul says we're going to have uh, qualities that we may not have had as much. That he's going to do things in our lives that are amazing. He's going to give us uh, these things. Galatians 5.22, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? Joy is the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in your life. When you have joy in moments that otherwise you necessarily wouldn't have joy, and you can go to a place of trust in Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit evidenced in your life in joy. 
He also gives joy when we're being obedient to him, when we're staying connected to him. I love the chapter of John 15 that really speaks of connectedness with Jesus. But he says this, Jesus says this in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You want to have the like optimum joy? <laughs> Do you want to have as much joy as you can possibly have on this planet? I'm going to tell you how. Be obedient to Jesus and connected to Jesus. When you walk in his life, when you are representing him, you're in love with him, and, and your love isn't just a song, I love you, Lord. It's a life that says, I love you, Lord, by how I obey, you will, you will have optimum joy because joy is a product of obedience and connectedness to Jesus. But here's another thing that God gives us as believers. Just in the same way as we face moments of sinfulness and brokenness in our lives, we also face real difficulty. We also face real heartache, real devastation, moments where you really don't know if you're going to make it to the next day, where your heart is broken. Maybe you're in a situation that you can't even, you can't even comprehend that you would have ever been there before. Even in those moments, if you trust Jesus, if you know him as your Savior, God gives us the ability to choose joy. Incredible. We can choose to have joy in moments that otherwise would not be found. James says it this way James 1, 2, and 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, Brokenness and difficulty is part of the discipleship program in life. And you can't be perfect and complete in discipleship until we suffer some. But when we suffer, we can have joy. Why? Because we're suffering? No. Who's going to suffer? I mean, have joy in suffering. Not in the suffering. We don't have joy. We have joy in what the suffering produces. We look deeper than the immediate circumstance we're living in and go, you know what, this is a difficult moment, but if I can obey Jesus, stay connected to him, regardless of what I'm facing, God will use this difficulty in my life to produce steadfastness and complete this work in me of discipleship. That's the hope. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, of course, I always think about Corey Tim Boom in a, in a concentration camp. When she quotes this verse with her sister, rejoice always, praying without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How many of us have rather been guilty of whatever's gone on this week or this month going, well, I'll tell you what I think about, that's where we go to, right? Whether you get laid off, whether you have somebody uh, steal from you, hurt you, some brokenness in the world comes into your life. Often we don't go, thank you, God. This is awesome. But that's kind of what Paul's telling us to do. You know why? Because the world doesn't hold satisfaction for us. Jesus does. And our hope is not in what the world brings us or takes away from us. Our hope is in 
what the, the Lord has given to us. Great news of great joy, right? Good news of great joy. Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you are a believer in Jesus, it is God's will for you to have joy. Even in the middle of hard circumstances, you get to choose to have joy, right? Jesus also gives joy to disciples who make disciples. This is my last point. So we've got Jesus gives joy to the world. Jesus gives joy to the lost. Jesus gives joy to the saved. Jesus gives joy to growing disciples, right? And Jesus helps us to make disciples. See, we're finishing. I'm a little sad about it, if I'm honest with you. It's been really a great learning experience for me to be in this series called Multiply. We finished the series today. And... uh, so I'm excited to finish it. I, I pray that, that we've given some resources and some, some conversations that will help you take a hard look, a good look at your own life as a disciple in Jesus. And ask the question, am I making disciples? Because that's what disciples do. We make disciples. We've given you some resources like the, the BLESS an acronym, right? Acrostic, whatever the thing is. Uh, we've given you the three circles. We've talked last week about triads. We're going to talk more about triads, but... We've tried to give you these ideas of what it means to walk in discipleship, not just be a church attender. Jesus did not say, go and attend church. He said, go and make disciples. So we got to hear that, friends. And we got to own this as believers in Jesus to know him more and to make him known. And I'm thankful uh, for Mindy works with us here at South City. She has uh, put these resources on the website. She's also put them on the Church Center app if you have that. Uh, If you're looking for those resources, you can find them there digitally, okay? But here's what's cool, and last thing I want to say, last point. When we actually make disciples, when we choose as believers to go from, well, I just kind of go to church, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, to you know what, no, wait a minute. God's called me to step out of my own knowledge of Jesus to make him known to other people. When we make that choice, and I pray every single one of us makes that choice, he gives you joy. It's this beautiful reward, and I can't explain it. <laughs> I, was, I was praying through it. I was trying to think of it, and I, I'll explain it in just a second, kind of my own experience. But look what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 20. This is the way he explains that joy of mission. He says, for what is our hope, he says to the, the, the community in Thessalonica. What's our joy what, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You are. We find joy in the things that matter most. And guess what? You were created to worship God and make him known. And when we worship God and make him known, he gives us a joy that we've never experienced. You know, I don't talk about this a lot, but my dream in life was to be a singer. I wanted to to stand on stages, and I wanted to sing, and I wanted to write music, and I wanted to record, and that was my dream, and I chased it for 17 or 18 years. And God in his grace and kindness gave me moments, little flashes of the dream. It was really kind of him to do that. 
I was a part of a group, and we sang to 10 and 15,000 people every night. And it was amazing, and it was like, I'm living the dream. God, thank you. This is, a, this is an amazing experience uh, that you've given me this dream, sort of. Because I found that all of a sudden, even though I was living that dream and I was getting to do that, it felt very shallow for me. I found that I was just really trying to be the coolest guy in the room, and I wasn't. But I was sure trying to be. I was trying to get to the attention of everybody. And, uh, and I was giving them the word of God. I was preaching the word in ways, in small moments, as much as I could to 15,000 people in 15 minutes or 30 or an hour. And I can honestly say I didn't last very long in that world, even though it was originally my dream, because God changed my dream. My dream all of a sudden wasn't about me, and I found in my heart satisfaction. I wasn't satisfied in what I thought was my dream. All of a sudden I'm going, wait, I should be happy. I should be so full of joy. I should, this should be like what I was created for, but it wasn't what I was created for. Yes, I was worshiping. Yes, I was trying to make him known, but it was a very shallow existence, and God called me back to the local church. And I left my dream to follow God's dream for my life. This is the beauty of, uh, of God's will. When we're following his heart, his dreams become our dream. And they become more significant to us than what we thought was important to us in the first place. When you lead somebody to Christ, when you've been praying for a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that maybe is in your family, and you're praying, God, please draw them to yourself. Please, please win them, Lord. Please give me the words to say to be a witness to them. And they come to Christ, <laughs> there's nothing in the world like watching God do that in someone's life. Them coming to, to understand the word more. Them, I've, I've seen men and women go into ministry and start serving other churches that God gave me the opportunity to lead to Jesus. There's no greater joy in my life, not even standing on a stage of 15,000 people where I dreamed to be all my life than seeing God move in someone else's life as the mission of God. There's nothing like it. And that's what Paul's trying to explain. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory even in the presence of Jesus himself? <laughs> it's not just our joy on earth, it'll be our joy in heaven. Is it not you? Indeed, you are the, our glory and our joy. You. There's also a story of Jesus training disciples. You know, when we say disciples in Jesus, we usually think about 12 of them. And we forget that there's also a story of 72 disciples that Jesus is training, right? In Luke 9 and 10, especially in Luke 10, we see Jesus sending out 72 disciples on mission. And it's amazing. I, I want us to read that for a minute before we close. Luke 10. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want us to jump down to verse 17. Verse 17, this is after they've gone out on mission and they've come back. 
to report on how they've done. Look what it says. The 72 returned with what? Joy. I think it's so interesting in this little story. Jesus sends people out on mission. By the way, everybody, listen. That's what he's doing today. Through a a really broken vessel. That's what he's doing right now. He's sending you out on mission. Out of this building, out of your homes, into the world to be missionaries. You're like, oh, I don't think I signed up for that. If you know Jesus, that's what you are. You're a missionary to go to the world. And look, watch this. That's what he does with, does with them. The 72, he sends them into the world, and what, is, what happens first? He says, go first, and as you're going, pray also that the Lord sends more laborers into the harvest. So as we leave this series, we're still going to be talking about mission, trust me. But as we leave this series, let's go into the world. But let's also pray that God gives us more workers. Because, what does he say? The harvest is plentiful. When you get out of this building, you get into your normal life and you see people everywhere, there are lost people everywhere you look. They need Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Pray that there are workers that are willing to go into that harvest. What I love about this story is there's an accountability piece to mission. That's what your city groups are. That's what triads are. We're praying, hey, I'm praying for this neighbor. And then one night you go, hey, I think I'm supposed to have coffee with Jim down the street. And the, everybody goes, okay, we're going to be praying about it. Next week when you have coffee with the guys again, what happened with Jim? You said you thought you were going to go to Jim. You're going to be praying for Jim. Like, did you, did you share Jesus with Jim? See, it's good. Accountability and mission is good. And these people were coming back to report to Jesus their mission. But don't miss the fact that they came back with a gift that only came because of obedience, and that is they came back to him with joy. Jesus gives joy to disciples who make disciples. Last week we talked about triads. And I just want to make a a final comment here. You know, triads, they're not the only way to make disciples. They're just the way that we feel called to lead you in, in this time. And we pray that you, everyone, I pray that every person in here would connect to a triad, that you'd be intentional. And I, by, the, by the way, last week I heard after Sunday, I've heard of several triads that are now being formed. Yeah, where to go? I'm so excited about that. I've heard people going, well, so and so is going to join me and we're going to, awesome, go for it, do it. I truly believe this is what God has called us to. Our elders believe this is what God is, is moving us towards. More intentional discipleship with one another, more intentional mission uh, to the world. A big part of that is triads. Triads, you know, just a way to walk out life in authenticity and accountability about that mission. This is where I am in my life in Jesus. Guys, will you pray for me? Will you help me be more? Will you help me be who God wants me to be? And by the way, pray for me as I try to take this gospel to the world. It's also intentional about studying God's word because we have no other hope for growth apart from God's word. So we study God's word together. We apply it. And we pray for the lost. We encourage each other to be missional in our lives. I just, when I think about joy, I just think, oh, the joy that Jesus gives, right? I hope that you sing joy to the world a little differently. I hope you think about what it means. I hope you, 
engage this beautiful thought that Jesus has not only brought joy into the world, but changes everything. That now we don't have to, to, to be a dead people. We can live life abundantly with joy in him. But he gives joy to the lost. You don't have to go to hell. This is a message we give the world. You can know the greatest reality in all of life by connecting and knowing Jesus. By walking in him. Jesus gives joy to the saved and praise God for the joy of our salvation. He gives joy to growing disciples. It's a reality of our lives through the fruit of the Spirit. It's a product of obedience, connectedness to Jesus, and it's a choice some of us may even have to make today. Some of you are going to have to make a choice to have joy instead of whatever thing happens in your life that is painful. And as, as disciples... Jesus gives us joy because there's no more important thing than to make him known. And when we live out of that reality of why we're created, he gives us incredible joy. Now think about the apostles and how every one of them were willing to give their lives for this message. John was the only one. He grew old, but he was willing to give his life. He was willing to be martyred. Then I ask us as a church, as a family, are we willing to give another 60 minutes? Are we willing to be intentional with people to, to grow a little deeper that this reality can't give you? This is good, and we're going to continue to worship together, but life together as men and women, th there's nothing that can replace that deep connectedness and discipleship. Are we willing to do that? Is it important enough to us to walk in that way and to make disciples for God's glory. So grateful for the joy that Jesus gives us. The good news of great joy. And it is the joy that the world needs to hear. I remind you as we pray in just a second, somebody you might encounter this week may need joy. And I'm not talking about a funny joke or just a brevity, a moment of brevity. I'm talking about deep and lasting change that brings joy. And the only thing that will do that, my friends, the only thing that Samaria could have joy in was the gospel of Jesus. It's the only thing. May we take the joy that he's given us in all these ways and give it to the world that so desperately needs it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Father, for this this day to be together, this day to worship you, this day to honor you and be encouraged by your word to, to draw together with family. God, thank you for this Multiply series. I pray that it has been a blessing. God, I pray that your word would direct us and lead us and help us to be the people you want us to be. And God, would you move us out of our lethargy, apathy. Move us out of our selfish ways that are so focused on ourselves, God, that's all we know sometimes. Lord, I pray that our phones would not have more of our attention than a dying world going to hell. <laughs> God, forgive us. I pray that a television show would not have more importance in our lives than being intentional about taking the gospel of Jesus to our neighbors. Wake us up, Lord. 
Wake us up to the reality of what you've done in us and what you long to do in the world and you're longing to do it through us as ambassadors, Lord, making your appeal to the world. Help us to see it. Wake us up to it. And give us the courage by your spirit. Lord, you said your spirit would empower us to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth in all the world. So empower us, God. Give us the courage to be who you called us to be. And take this joy to the world. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. And I pray that you would build our lives in such a way, God, that our rhythms would be to know you and make you known. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.